welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is McAndrews, and today we're talking all about Alzheimer's disease. Now, before I do my usual intro, I'd like you to meet my dad. I'm John Christopher Royden Andrews, and I was born on the 4th of August, 1943, in Akaroa. Now, this was recorded when I sat my parents down in the back of their camper van and asked them all about their lives, you know, for posterity. Only, as soon as you pin a microphone on my dad, he tends to put on a funny voice. When I was about six years old, I had a goldfish, and it was a lovely little goldfish. And we'd Get to normal voice. Normal voice. And halfway through the interview, my mum was concerned that it was a bit boring. It's all very sterile, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Is it? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, we're about to get to the bit where you meet, which is less sterile, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're not, uh, not that sterile, sterile. is it? <laughs> we did have three children. <laughs> <laughs> we're just wrote worried about the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my dad talking about when he met my mum. I was looking for a partner to the New Zealand Alpine Club dinner. So I rang a girl called Cynthia. She said she was, unfortunately, couldn't make it. But John, she said, I've got a friend from Australia and she skis. I said, oh, put her on. So I was handed over to to Margaret, who is now called Maggie. And uh, it was all downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) We went to the ball and uh, it was a fun night. And there were, I remember, cargo nets and being mountaineers of course these are the the guys that climb things and we're all climbing up these nets and down the other side. Now I'm just going to pause things there and I'll let my dad continue in a minute but just to let you know that interview was recorded in 2016 and four years later in 2020 I sat my dad down again and asked him to retell the story about when he met my mum. And I went to a party there um uh, to celebrate the end of the year, um, the activities that they did, of course, were very uh, um, related related to the sort of things that our, the Alpine Club people did, like uh, climbing up nets, down nets. So, as you've probably guessed, In between these two interviews, my dad got Alzheimer's disease. It's been a tough journey for everyone involved, as we've watched the person we know and love slowly disappear in front of our eyes. And it's fair to say it's been toughest on my mum, who is not only losing her husband and best friend of over 50 years, but now has to carry the burden of being his caregiver. And my dad is not alone. Over 50 million people worldwide live with dementia, And unless effective treatment is found, that number is set to almost double every 20 years. Now, I know it might seem a little off-brief to make an episode on Alzheimer's because it's not really mental health as we usually think of it, but it does have a huge effect on someone's mental health and the mental well-being of their loved ones. I've heard people call Alzheimer's the long goodbye, and I can definitely relate to that. So, in this episode, we'll hear some more from my dad, We'll talk to my mum about how she's faced this challenge, and I sit down with a psychiatrist who works with dementia to talk about what Alzheimer's is, what causes it, how it impacts someone's life, and what we can do to reduce our chances of getting it. 
And just to slip in a bit of admin, we do need your support to keep the show going. So if you'd like to donate to help make the next episode, you can go to areyoumental.com and click on the donate button. If you want to get hold of me, my email is mick, that's M-I-C-K, at areyoumental.com. And to find us on Instagram, we are at areyoumentalpodcast. Okay, so let's go back to 2016, when my parents are exercising their God-given right to tell embarrassing stories about their kids. Mick was only about one at that time, wasn't he? And he never slept very well. We had to pat him on the back <laughs> for, for an hour and a half every night to get him to go to sleep. Something never changed. <laughs> <laughs> he pat you in the middle of the night now, Mick. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> and then fast forward to 2020, and I'm setting up the interview with my dad. Two, two, one, two. Yeah, two, two, one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's all right. So just for a sound check, I asked him a couple of questions I knew he could answer easily. What's your name? John. What's your full name? John Christopher Royzen Andrews. Yeah, that's good. Um, what's my name? <laughs> um, uh... So this came as a surprise to me. The first time in 40 years that my dad hasn't known my name. And in that silence, a few things were going on for me. I can see in my dad's eyes that he feels terrible that he can't call his own son by name. So I want to reassure him that everything's okay. It's okay. That's all right. Yeah. But as well as that, I'm still shocked and a bit sad, if I'm honest, that my dad can't remember who I am. So sitting there, I'm willing him to get a spark of recognition. Is it all? Um, Ben? Mm-hmm. No, hang on, sorry, I got the wrong way. Um, <laughs> uh, That's okay, if you just relax, you'll probably get it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, well, uh, oh. well, we'll go, go back to it. And then I noticed that it looks like it's on the tip of his tongue and he can't quite fish the word out of his now murky mind. Um, <laughs> That's it. You're nearly there. <laughs> and then the spark disappears, and he's lost it again. Huh. Yeah. It's okay. Do another question, eh? Okay. Yeah. And that's what it's been like for my dad. Accessing his mind has gotten harder and harder, and now he struggles to make sense at all. For the first couple of years, this was really frustrating for him, because he knew that his brain was failing him, and he knew it was only going to get worse. But then something changed where he kind of clicked into a different state of mind where he became a bit disconnected with reality and kind of indifferent about what was going on. Like someone was turning the lights off from behind his eyes and he was reasonably content to go along with it. Which actually, as someone who loves him, I think there's some grace in this. Personally, I wouldn't want him being fully aware of everything he's losing and be fully present to watch his often undignified regression. But it's not all bad. He's still my dad, and he still knows I'm his son. And nice moments together have gone from actual conversations to playing kind of silly games you might play with a little kid and sharing laughs and lots of hugs, something that we didn't actually do that much of before he had Alzheimer's. And as my dad was struggling more and more to access his thoughts, I started getting curious about what exactly was going on for him and how Alzheimer's actually works. By then I was pretty sure I was going to make an episode on Alzheimer's, so I tracked down one of the country's top experts in dementia, a man by the name of Dr. Etu Ma'u. 
Etu is a psychiatrist who has worked in the area of old age for over a decade, and he's doing his PhD exploring dementia prevention strategies. So yeah, he's a pretty qualified guy to talk to. And as is my tradition, I started in the obvious place. What is Alzheimer's? So I think a better question is actually, what is dementia? So I'm just going to clear something up here. Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. In fact, it makes up about two-thirds of all dementia. So I could have called this episode dementia, but seeing as my dad has Alzheimer's and it felt like a better-known word, I went with that. Later on, Etu will tell us exactly what the difference is. But for now, I'll let the good doctor continue. Dementia is effectively a syndrome, and it's a syndrome characterised by two things. One, you must have some sort of difficulty or challenges with the way that your brain processes information across a broad range of domains, including memory, orientation, your ability to sequence, to uh, follow a recipe, Mm. to do complex things like driving, to manage your money. Mm. And those difficulties that you have with aspects of your cognition have to be affecting your day-to-day functioning in some way. And, I mean, it's pretty well known that old people slow down, including their minds slowing down, yep. their memories getting worse. So what's the difference between just getting old and, and your memory deteriorating, etc., cetera, and, and dementia? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we do conflate the two quite a bit. Mm. The reason that old age is seen as associated with dementia is because dementia is primarily a disease of older people. Mm. So, for example, at the age of 65, you'd expect maybe one in a hundred people to have dementia. By the age of 80 or 90, you're expecting one in three people to have it. Wow. So the older that you get, the higher your chance of developing dementia. Mm. But it's by no means inevitable. But what's the difference between the kind of deterioration that naturally happens in an older brain and the kind of deterioration that happens with dementia? I mean, I guess the difficulty with assessing something like dementia is that it has to be assessed against some sort of objective measurement. Mm. Older people will tend to start noticing that there may be changes in their ability to remember things, changes in their ability to process information, to manipulate information in their mind, that they can't work out things quite as quickly. Mm. But that in and of itself doesn't mean that there is a dementing process happening. Mm. I mean, dementia, by its very definition, is a progressive, irreversible, neurodegenerative disorder Mm. that comes on insidiously and that just progressively gets worse with time. Mm. As you get older, you know, your cognitive functioning isn't as sharp or as quick as it was when, say, you're in your 30s and 40s. But just because it's slower doesn't necessarily mean that it's a problem. And it doesn't mean that it's dementia. It does not mean that it's dementia. Just because you have difficulties with the way that your brain processes information, if that difficulty isn't affecting your day-to-day functioning Mm. and your ability to live, you know, an independent life, then you probably wouldn't call it a dementia. Okay. Yep. And so what would be classic signs of dementia for someone who's living with someone and wondering whether they have it or if you're asking a family about someone's behavior, what, what what are the classic signs? I mean, I guess the answer to that kind of depends on the underlying cause of dementia. The most common type of dementia is your Alzheimer's type dementia, which is probably about two-thirds of all dementias. So that's your classic dementia that we tend to associate with people getting older. Mm. And the classic signs with an early Alzheimer's type dementia, 
usually revolve around your ability to retain and recall information. Um, your ability to remember things actually relies on, on three processes. It's your ability initially to be able to pay attention and to concentrate, mm. so you can actually take in that information. Mm. It's your ability to lay that information down in your brain and form that memory. And then it's the ability of your brain to pull that information back out when yeah. you need it. Yeah. And with an Alzheimer's type dementia, what they tend to have difficulty with is an ability to actually form that memory. So they're in the moment, they're able to understand and process what's happening in the moment, but because they can't lay down that memory into their longer term kind of brain bank, they can no longer recall it. Mm. So classic Alzheimer's dementias, you initially notice difficulties with things like your ability to remember things, your ability to recall things that have happened. But then as your dementia progresses, it starts affecting more and more aspects of your brain. And then you start having difficulties with other aspects of your brain functioning, abilities to recognize people, recognize familiar faces, abilities to perform more complex tasks, you know, like following a recipe, like driving, abilities to be able to manipulate information in your mind. So things like working out how to pay your bills. Mm. And then at some point, you know, the difficulties become more and more pronounced as dementia progresses and people have difficulties with more and more kind of basic aspects of day-to-day -day living, mm. of their ability to adequately care for themselves, to dress appropriately for weather, to dress appropriately <laughs> for uh, conditions, mm. their ability to prepare food for themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm only laughing because, as I said before, the interview, my dad has Alzheimer's, so as soon as you say things like that, I think of certain situations, you know, that you almost have to laugh at, no, absolutely. you know, or laugh with or yes. something, you know, like I was on, I was up north where my parents live on the weekend and uh, my dad put his mayonnaise, he made a sandwich and then put the, his mayonnaise on the outside of the sandwich, which I've just nev obviously never seen him do. Yeah. And then he happily picked it up, you know, with mayonnaise kind of oozing all over his hands and, you know, merrily ate his sandwich, but it just seems so odd that the knowledge that a mayonnaise goes inside a sandwich and not on the outside of it would be lost somehow, you know? No, absolutely. And it becomes, on the one hand, amusing, and on the other hand, can be equally frustrating for the person that has to clean up. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, which is invariably my mum in this case. Speaking of my mum, let's hear from her from an interview I did in 2020. Margaret Ruth Andrews, 16th of the second 43. <laughs> <laughs> And just for clarity, my brothers and I often call my parents Mags and Jono. And what's your relationship with Jono? I'm his wife. And her story of meeting my dad seems to corroborate with his. At Alpine Club Ball in Christchurch, 1968. And then the, the following day we went skiing. And also he seemed a nice guy. <laughs> nice. Within a couple months of meeting, my dad had proposed and they were married not long after that. And my dad's idea of a romantic honeymoon was putting the skis on the roof of their Volkswagen Beetle and heading into the Alps. We uh, scaled a, a peak called Hochstecker Dom. So the skiing down was great, but then, then there were several kilometres of walking over glacial terrain, which was hard work. Did you question your decision at that point? <laughs> I was in love. Oh, shucks. <laughs> and how long have you been married now? 50 years. When did you first notice that something was up with Jono's mind? Perhaps up to even up to five years ago, 
could tell his decision making wasn't as good as it had been and he made some wrong decisions that had bad consequences and just losing initiative becoming unadventurous which was so unlike him he was always up for everything his inability to to fix things on the bus his inability to see things that needed fixing inability to motivate himself to do it mm. i think that's the main one he just uh, and and after a while he just wanted me to do it or fix it for him which was most unlike him and he was forgetful mm. couldn't remember places or names or where he had to be or how to how to record stuff do spreadsheets all the stuff that he used to find quite easy mm. and, and the- people too people would come to the door and he would interact with them and when they'd gone he'd say who was that mm. That's definitely, you must have known something was up at that point. Mm, And um, I covered up for him a lot. Mm. And what's his state of mind like now? Uh, Well, he's extremely forgetful. His short-term memory is very short. He will say to me, can I help with dinner? I say, yeah, you can peel the carrots. He'll say, "Um, can you get me a knife? Can you get me a peeler? Can you get me a board? Sometimes I'll say, no, find them yourself, which can take quite a while. And sometimes I'll get them out and then he'll say, oh, I just have to go to the toilet, which is um, a pattern that always happens. And by the time he's been to the toilet, he's forgotten what the task was. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were at the dinner table when he saw my car outside yesterday and said, that's Mick's car. And I said, yeah. And he said, are you borrowing it? To me. Uh oh. <laughs> um, how has it changed your relationship with him? Well, I've become his caregiver, not his wife. Uh, though he's still quite affectionate and will just thank me now for all the help I've given him. And um, so we're still a couple. And uh, when we're out together, we're recognised um, as a couple and people treat us normally, which is quite nice. Uh, but um, if we're in any situation for any length of time, I think people can pick up that he's not cognitively there. And then I have to start explaining that he's got Alzheimer's. And so um, all those fun things we used to do together, like go away in the bus or, or just visit people overseas, all those we can't do, or the last time we did them, I was very much there to look after him. Mm. It wasn't a companionable thing. So it's, it's not really companionship the way it used to be? No. Can you have any form of conversation? No. Right. Yeah. Where do you find the patience? Because, you you know, 10 years ago you would never have put up with all that from him, but now you do. Well, I don't always. I get, I get short. But then I feel, well, you know, you have to tell yourself you can't help it and it's part of the disease and, I mean, I might be next, you know. Mm. You hope people would treat you kindly and, um, and he's been good to me. Mm. over the years Mm. it's kind of like he's not really 
him anymore. No, that's right. I mean, that's kind of an interesting and sad reality, isn't it? That mm. he's he's obviously not dead. He's here, mm. but he but but he is not here as well. No, just somebody in his body, which is not even his body. I mean, he was always um, trim, taut, and terrific. <laughs> <laughs> trim, taut, and terrific. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's of Alf Patterson family saying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and now, now he looks like a patient that I would look after in a, a geriatric ward. Yeah, he dribbles his food and he can't get to the toilet in time. He gets puts his clothes on out of order and um, needs help with washing and cleaning his teeth and that sort of thing. Mm. Is there any connection left? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. I don't want to live on my own, and um, I, yeah, he still sleeps um, at night, which is good, so we can sleep together. It's not becoming impossible. And what what are what are those moments of connection look like now? Oh, he'll just say, oh, you know, he'd just say, thank you for looking after me and so nicely, and I do love you. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is a grief thing, is a loss. The mm. whole thing is a loss, isn't it? And um, uh, it comes in waves and um, some days there's a sudden loss and then maybe you pick up the next day or maybe that's the new normal. And then it goes down from there. There's a new normal and then it decreases from that level. And what that, what's that like for you? Yeah, well, I intellectually know that that's what's going to happen, but when it does, it is a, a grief situation. Mm -hmm. Just losing the man I was married to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know that people have called Alzheimer's the long goodbye. Yeah, have they? Okay. You haven't heard that? No. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, no one wants to, your husband to be killed in a motor vehicle accident or, or a heart attack, but watching someone slowly die is, uh, is just as bad in some ways, or different, just different, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about this concept of ambiguous loss where it's not as clear-cut as something like a heart attack. Mm. You know, they are gone and yet still here. Mm. So it's ambiguous loss. Mm. That, that's a good way of describing it, yeah. Yeah. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit. And I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words Are You Mental? That's GoFundMe.com and search Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. So we're going to journey away from the personal for a bit. In fact, we're going to head in the opposite direction and dive into some detail with me asking Etu what causes Alzheimer's. The short answer is... I bet there's no really short answer. <laughs> there is no short answer. No. I mean, the classic theory of Alzheimer's is that it's a build-up of beta-amyloid proteins and uh, tau proteins in the brain. Beta-amyloid proteins and tau proteins. I've, I've, I've read these online. What are, what are you talking about when you say that? 
So amyloid is basically a protein that builds up in your brain. Amyloid, it's a natural product of your brain's day-to-day metabolism. Even in a so-called normal it, Absolutely. Brain. Okay. This is probably a good time to say, if you're not interested in the science behind Alzheimer's, feel free to skip ahead. In fact, if you go to about the 27-minute mark, you will have successfully dodged the geeky stuff. So you've mentioned the amyloid proteins, yep. but you use this other word, tau, which I'm kind of intrigued by. So effectively, tau is another protein in the brain. So when we talk about Alzheimer's, one of the classic things people talk about are the plaques and tangles. Yes, I've heard that. So it's the amyloid plaques, which is basically the buildup of proteins that then start clumping together to form these little plaques that you can see under a microscope when you look at brain biopsy after death. And you also get a buildup of, of these tau tangles. tangles. But in, in a younger, healthy brain, your production of some of these proteins and your ability of your body to break them down is in perfect equilibrium. Right. What tends to happen as you get older and if things start changing is that you get a mismatch between your body's production of this protein and your body's ability to clear it away. Right. And once you're not clearing away as much as is being produced, over time that slowly builds up. Gotcha. We know, for example, from some of the people that develop Alzheimer's dementia in their, say, 50s and early 60s, that generally they have a genetic predisposition to this. That means that their brain's ability to either break this protein down or their production of it is already out of equilibrium. Mm. And therefore, they just get that buildup happening, you know, 20 years earlier than you'd expect for someone. So we know that amyloid proteins and tau are associated with dementia. The question is always, are they the actual cause of the dementia or are they in fact kind of a marker of it but may not be the cause and they're kind of happening in in parallel? Right, okay. And what do the plaques do that's damaging? Well, what we don't know is whether the plaques in and of themselves are causing damage Mm. or whether actually it's the build-up of these plaques and the build-up of these tangles that then cause inflammation and that maybe it's that actual inflammation that is then causing some of the problems. And the damage is, is that in the form of like death of neurons or...? So if you think about the kind of sequence of events, you have this kind of gradual build-up of proteins, be it amyloid or tau, and then those proteins start clumping together over time and then those clumps may start causing inflammation So at some point, that inflammation will result in cell death, so you start getting neuronal injury. And then at some point, that neuronal injury is big enough that you can actually see it on a scan. Mm. And then at some point, that injury results in so much cell death that it then starts impacting on your brain's ability to function. Our brains are really good at compensating for subtle changes. So it's only when your brain's ability to compensate for those changes goes that you then develop the symptoms. I think one of the reasons that we haven't found a cure for dementia yet is that we seem to be focusing on these proteins and a lot of the studies that are done for medications to cure dementia or try and reduce the burden of dementia in an individual are done in people who already have dementia. Mm. And we know from the current evidence that the changes that happen in your brain that eventually lead to dementia start 20, 25 years earlier than the onset of the actual symptoms. And one of my big areas of interest is dementia prevention. So what we tend to see clinically is that people will come in because there's fairly obvious changes by then, 
And then you talk to their family and their family say, well, actually, you know, looking back, this probably started 18 months ago, two years ago, but we thought nothing of it at the time. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as far as my dad's experience goes. I remember I accompanied my mum to a appointment with a psychiatrist, I think it was, and they did a test on my dad. And at that point, I just thought he was, you know, my normal old dad doing yep. his normal old stuff. <clears throat> and they said, oh, could you just count down yep. from 100 in increments of nine? Yep. And he was an engineer as, you know, in his working life. And I thought, well, he'll, he'll ace this one. And he stumbled. St- Stumbled is a is a generous way to put it. Yeah, he struggled. And I was like, wow, there really is something going on here. No, absolutely. And if you look at some of the, the brief screening tests that we use when we're assessing someone with cognitive impairment and with a question mark as to whether they have dementia, if you look at the questions that are asked to someone like yourself looking at them, they look so simple and so straightforward yeah. that you cannot fathom how anyone would have difficulty with it particularly someone who's, say, an engineer, which is why, you know, if someone does have difficulty with them, clearly there's a problem because mm-hmm. it's not something you would expect them to have difficulty with. I've, I've actually had some quite serious issues with, with my mind, which you probably, well, should have assessed anyway mm. um, because... I think you, you probably you probably understand a lot about how how the, the stories as they've gone to go, gone together they would have gone together probably a lot smoother and easier if, if not yeah. And what's your experience of Alzheimer's? My experience of Alzheimer's is uh, well, just how it affects me. Mm. And uh, it's just one of those things, yeah. There's a lot of people that know, knew me a long time ago that, that um, will certainly notice a, an interview with me it would be a, a difficult task because of the, the time I would, would spend putting the questions together, you know, answers to questions together and that sort of thing. Um, but that's just the experience, hmm. you know. Just takes longer now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. you're still talking, you still make sense to me. Oh, yeah, good. Still remembering things. And yeah, that's right. Still my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's one thing you would like people to know about Alzheimer's? It's important for people who are suspected of having been taken by Alzheimer's or it's important that they come to learn about it as well, learn about what their brain's going through. And it's so important, so, so, yeah, yeah. Speaking of learning about what's going on in the brain, here's Etu again talking about the different types of dementia. The, the common types of dementias, obviously there's Alzheimer's, which is probably two-thirds of all dementias, but then there are other things like vascular dementia, mm-hmm. which is when people have either a stroke or other bleeds and aspects of their brain where they've not received oxygen or nutrient supply. 
There are what we call the frontotemporal dementias, which are effectively the front part of your brain. So the front part of your brain is effectively the part of your brain where your higher functions sit. So that's your ability to not just blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. Ah, because I spent some time researching a TV show set in a rest home once. And there was some people there that would just say some stuff that you know that they wouldn't have said previously in their life. Some pretty kind of confronting, yeah, like you said, blurting out stuff. So that might have been more the frontotemporal potentially. That generally is the frontotemporal mm. aspect of your brain. Yeah, it's your ability to filter the first response that comes to your mind, make a decision as to whether that response is socially appropriate. So that's a brief description of the different types of dementia. And with my dad's Alzheimer's, I've noticed that it's affected him in curious ways. And as Itu said, my family and I can look back and see that actually it was showing up in small ways years before we found out what was going on. As I listen back to the interview in 2016, I notice him struggling to find his words more than he used to. Like when he tells this story of him and my mum taking a train journey across Russia in 1971. Our journey on the Trans-Siberian was together with a whole lot of Russian army officers who were going on leave to... The, the Black Sea, the Black sea and uh, they'd invite me in to play, um, to 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 play chess. Was it? Was it? Yeah. And y- you, if if you lost and drink and and drink, yeah. Vodka. And if, yeah, if you if you lost your hand, uh, you'd have to uh, uh, drink a shot of vodka, uh, chase it down with um, dry bread and. Uh, a beer. And a beer. Chase it down with a beer. So you can hear there the hesitations and pauses that grew and grew until four years later when he was having trouble remembering things at all. Have you been to Russia? No. no you have not been to Russia? No. Okay. Have you been on a, the Trans-Siberian Railway? Yes. Yeah, okay. On the Trans-Siberian Railway we... Travel through the country of Russia. Mm. And sometimes I find when I prompt him like this, he gets a few moments of quite clear detail. We travelled via Japan, then from Japan to Vladivostok. We travelled in in cabins. Do you remember playing any games with people on the Yeah, we had to play lots of games because of the speed (laughs) involving drink. So we used to drink pretty much local beer, but pretty uh, difficult to to get used to. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I started noticing back then that ended up being part of Alzheimer's was my dad getting more emotional. When I was younger, I only ever saw my dad cry once at his mum's funeral. But a few years back, when he was talking about something he cared about, he would start welling up with tears and fighting back outbursts of emotion, like in the 2016 interview when he was talking about dating my mum. So, Jono, what did you think of Mags in those days? I thought she was lovely. I was fully <laughs> infatuated. <laughs> well, what, what qualities did you like about her? Oh, she was beautiful and uh, lovely to be with. Yeah, just everything that a guy would want of a beautiful girl. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get fit tonight. (laughs) Now, earlier on, Etu mentioned dementia prevention. Wow, that's a mouthful. And this is his area of expertise. 
And the fact that dementia is largely an old person's disease has particular relevance when it comes to working to decrease its prevalence. If we can delay onset by just five years, we would halve the number of people with dementia. Wow. Because they would eventually end up dying of something else without ever developing the disease. Yeah, right. Wow. That must be quite a hopeful way of looking at it. Look, it's a very hopeful way of looking at it. And we've shown that in New Zealand, if we can target 12 risk factors, we could prevent about half of all dementias. Wow. Okay. Risk factors. What are they? What are the 12? (laughs) Well, the risk factors effectively fall into two broad categories. They are either things that reduce the risk of damage to your brain, Mm -hmm. and they are things that improve what we call your cognitive reserve, which is effectively your brain's ability to compensate for any changes that happen. Okay, right. So these are not, those are the opposite to risk factors. They're the kind of protective factors. Yes, they're the protective factors. Right. And is it worth giving a little more detail on what they are? Yeah, absolutely. So look, effectively for the risk of brain damage, anything that is good for your heart is good for your head. Your brain, despite only weighing about a kilo, probably uses about a fifth or 20% of your body's, you know, oxygen and nutrient needs. So anything that compromises blood flow to the brain is going to compromise your brain. So heart health is head health in a way. It's exactly that. So looking at things like obesity, diabetes, smoking, alcohol, high blood pressure, depression, which can have cardiovascular effects, diet, exercise, all of those things actually reduce your risk of developing dementia if you can address them. Mm. And then on the other side is about building your brain's resilience, building a cognitive reserve. And effectively those things centre around maintaining your social connectedness, maintaining your social activities, keeping your mind active and taking over. So, you know, education makes a difference, particularly making sure that people get educated at least to the end of high school. Mm. Hearing loss is a really big one. Your risk of dementia, if you have hearing difficulties, is almost double that of people without. Wow. We don't think it's because of any changes associated with the loss of hearing as such, but the fact that hearing is such a fundamental requirement for your ability to socially interact and to engage with others. Got it. Okay. So all these things have been getting told for a long time that are good for us on so many levels, like eating well, you know, not having too much excess uh, body fat, socialising, challenging the brain, learning new things, exercising, of course. All that stuff is is in a very real way providing us some protection, even for things like Alzheimer's. No, very much so. Okay. The protective factors with us looking after your heart are phenomenal. Mm, mm. You talk to people about the risks of heart attack and of stroke, and it doesn't seem to register with them. But you talk to them about the risk of dementia and people are so fearful of dementia as a diagnosis because it's something that fundamentally cuts to the heart of who you are. Mm. If that is something that kickstarts their healthy living journey, then hey. Yeah, you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know a lot of people will be curious about diet. Yep. What is a good diet to have if you want to maximise those protective factors? I mean, the reality is everyone knows what a good diet is. (laughs) Look, there is some evidence that potentially something like the Mediterranean diet may confer additional benefit. Um, The Mediterranean diet, you know, is reasonably high in, you know, olive oil. But then it's a lot of, you know, salads as well. Mm. But effectively, whole foods are really important. The way I explain it to my kids, for example, is if we go back to living like we did in the 1950s, Mm. where, you know, there was very little processed food out Mm. there, 
where, you know, your meal was your meat, your three veg, your salad. Mm. Your whole foods that are as minimally processed as possible are probably the way to go. Right, okay. And for someone like myself who has a father who already has it, how much does that increase my chances of getting it? It's a loaded question. <laughs> it's a very loaded question. No, 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 <laughs> but not, not at yeah. all. It's, it's a very good question. It's a question I get asked a lot. What we generally know is that the older someone is when they develop dementia, the less of a role genetics plays because mm-hmm. then it's just that gradual accumulation of changes as a function of, of how long they've lived as opposed to some genetic process that somehow hastened it. So when we talked earlier about you know people with younger onset dementia, there's usually a much stronger genetic link there. Right. They're more likely to pass it on to their children, essentially. Yes, because there's probably a genetic driver of developing it. Okay. But people who develop dementia in their, you know, say... Early to mid-70s? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Early to mid-70s, late-70s and above, chances are genetics plays much less of a role. Ah. But it's an important point, Mick, because there was a really good study that came out of the Journal of the American Medical Association, and they actually looked at people who had a high genetic risk for dementia and people who had a low or no genetic risk for dementia. But then within those two groups, they looked at how healthy their lifestyle was. Mm. And what they showed, which was fascinating, was that the people with no risk of dementia from their genetics who lived an unhealthy lifestyle, so, you know, basically weren't looking after their heart health, Mm. had just as much of a risk of developing dementia, if not higher, than the people that had a really strong family history of it, Mm. but lived a healthy lifestyle. Mm, You're saying all the right things. Although, you've thrown down the gauntlet for me, haven't you? So, I know there's a lot of protective factors, but, like, this is a pretty selfish question, really. But if you were to pick, say, four things for someone to do to decrease their chance of developing Alzheimer's, from a lifestyle point of view, what would you choose, the big ticket stuff? I mean, I would tend to clump heart health as one thing. Okay. Because what we do know is that risk factors cluster within people. If you have obesity, for example, so a high BMI, then there's a very good chance that you also have diabetes, high blood pressure, that your diet's probably not that great, that Mm. you're probably not exercising that much. So Mm. I tend to view heart health as one big cluster. Right, and that is is the main thing to to look at. From my point of view, yes, because that's what's going to reduce the insidious kind of creep of damage to the brain over many, many years. Mm. Like we know that the changes that happen in your brain that cause dementia are starting in your 40s. And we know that the link in your 40s with developing dementia is around all of these heart health issues. Mm. But the other big thing to target is hearing loss, because hearing loss has the largest risk of developing dementia of all of those 12 risk factors. Wow. Wow. Let's go back to my dad now. And as you know, the interviews you've heard so far are from 2016 and 2020. But I actually interviewed him again two years later in 2022. And whilst he's definitely got worse in that time, I'll let you decide just how much different he seems, starting with him talking about my mum. She's very careful to be correct about things. And uh, she's good to share. share she, she, she's, she's a good person to share life experiences with um, 
I'm very fond with with Maggie. Good. That's good. What do I do for a living? <laughs> you tend to interview people as a living for understanding them and their the way their mind is made up. It's mm. good. That's good. Um, what do you know about Alzheimer's? Um, it's a, I've read sort of books about it and that. It's a it's a disease which yeah um, it's a disease of the mind that um, I have been struck with and. Uh, Trying to get it, trying to get it over. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What has having Alzheimer's been like for you? It's 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 been difficult, but it's easy to un, to understand what what the difficulties is with Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, and what are they? Well, some you wouldn't have said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making this radio show, and this episode is on Alzheimer's. Right. Do I have your permission to put this conversation on the show for anyone in the world to hear? Yes, I think I have. To, I, I need. I have to trust you to do it properly. <laughs> and people listening will learn more about Alzheimer's. Mm. What do you think about that? I think that's good. I think people, as many people as possible who can learn about Alzheimer's should do that. I've noticed with my dad that he, in his kind of drifting into that state, has become, he's quite gentle and sweet and kind of loving and complimentary and stuff. Yep. But, you know, I saw a film not long ago, I think it's called The Father, with yes. Anthony Hopkins playing a, a man with Alzheimer's, and he gets quite belligerent and 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 loud and accusative and yep. a bit mean even at times uh which is the more typical experience or is there one i mean i think you're very fortunate that dad has become you know <laughs> yeah more loving and and you know quite gentle yeah that does happen to many people anyway mm. but everyone's experience is different and that's when we talk about the behavioural and psychological symptoms of dementia, or, or BPSD for short. And effectively, it's a term, or it's a catch-all phrase for these kinds of changes that happen that are probably due to the dementia itself and that we can't say are caused by anything else. Hmm. And effectively, these are changes that are being driven by the person with dementia's kind of own internal understanding of what's happened, understanding of the world around them and their interpretation of everything that's going on. So effectively you end up interpreting the world in light of whatever worldview you have now mm. and in light of the ability of your brain to make sense of the world around you. Mm. You know, which is why things that are really common are accusing people of stealing. Yes. Because it's much easier to externalize that because clearly I would always have put my keys in this certain place. If they are not there, there is no other explanation except someone else has taken them. Mm, yeah. I mean, my dad was, he, he's always been quite a sweet man, you know. So maybe that, you know, he's retained that and it's its almost kind of heightened that maybe someone who's a bit of a grumpy old bugger 
<laughs> from the at the first place, maybe it will kind of heighten that personality type. I don't know. Just a theory, really. No, I mean, personality type does play a big role. Because one of the things about an Alzheimer's dementia in particular is that because you lose your ability to form new memories, you end up living further and further in the past mm. and you latch on to what you can remember. So it's why, you know, families will talk about their loved one with dementia as the dementia progresses, you know, talking about things that happened 30 years ago or when they were a teenager, when they were a child. Mm. Because not only do you lose your ability to form new memories, but you also start eroding memories in the reverse order of how you develop them. Mm. So you lose your more recent memories first and then and so on backwards. Mm. Wow. What advice would you give someone caring for someone with Alzheimer's? I mean, pragmatically, my advice to most people caring for someone with dementia is, one, to recognise that it's bloody hard. Mm. Caring for someone with dementia is hard. We know from a lot of the studies that have been done that if you compared someone without dementia who needed exactly the same help as someone with dementia, that it's always harder to provide that care and that assistance to the person with dementia. Hmm. So it's hard and it will get harder with time. Because of that, what I really, really emphasise is the need to look after the carer. Because if the carer burns out, if the carer is no longer able to provide for the person with dementia because they are completely burnt out, then they're no use anymore to the person with dementia. So for me, it's about supporting the carer as much as possible. It's about putting those wraparound supports in, both funded and unfunded. <laughs> and it's about making sure that the carer is able to still have some sort of quality of life that is not 100% consumed by looking after the person with dementia. And from witnessing my mum looking after my dad, it's, there's every danger of that consuming to happen because there's just such a high level of need there. No, absolutely. And I think for a partner, for example, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's hard enough to lose your husband, yep. you know, not necessarily physically yet, but certainly mentally and emotionally, and then to also gain a patient yep. or almost like a late-life child in yep. a way. Both those things are really difficult, but with... Alzheimer's, they come together, and that's a really, it's kind of a, a really harsh double whammy, really. No, absolutely. And there's also a grieving process mm. that the carer goes through, mm. because like you say, not only are you having to provide this care, but you're grieving for the person that you used to know that you've lost, mm. and you're also grieving for the future that you'd seen for the two of you that is now completely out the window. Mm. You know, I talk to families who, you know, talk about they were going to retire and go camper vanning around the South Island, mm. and then suddenly that's completely off the cards. Mm, yeah, really sad. Yeah. If someone's listening to this and they've got a loved one who has just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, what would you want to say to them? I'd say get all the help that you can as early as you can. And... Uh, I would just feel um, very sorry for them because I know what they're in for. Mm. And what about relationally? What would your advice to someone be at, at that point? Oh, just take, just be appreciative of every day. Yeah, just make the best of every day. Do what you can for each other and um, t 
talk to your partner and find out something that they really like doing and try and do enjoyable things. Talk about old times, find an old photograph, uh, get old friends to visit. Yeah, I find when old friends come and John realises who they are, he visibly rises to the occasion and will talk quite sensibly uh, for a time. Mm. Yeah, and he enjoys that. He enjoys seeing old friends and talking over old times. Mm. So I would, I mean, I guess my dad's had Alzheimer's for, it's hard to know where the exact start point was, as you said, but I would, I would say, what, six years maybe? It's fairly advanced. He will stumble his way through a sentence or two trying to describe what he did in the day. It's, 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 uh, it's barely intelligible, but mm. where does it go from there? I know that's not a cheery question to ask, but what, you know, after the memory loss and the, the loss of kind of lifestyle functioning, does it end up you're just nonverbal? Or? I mean, it can end up nonverbal. You know, as things progress, effectively, you lose more and more of your abilities so you clearly in the early stages of dementia you lose those more complex abilities but then you start losing more and more kind of basic activities as you know one of the ways I describe it is that you effectively are regressing into a younger and younger age mm. to the point where you need you know assistance and oversight and cares for everything mm. the question I always get asked is how long is that and the answer is we never know mm. it differs does it it differs massively does it okay interesting I mean you know the some of the research that's been done says the average life expectancy for someone diagnosed with dementia can be anywhere from, you know, three years through to 12 years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a big range of uncertainty. So it does kill you, dementia. It does, sorry, that's harsh, but it does kind of... I mean, yes, yes, it right. does. Okay. It's not, it's not a case of it, it makes your brain less functioning, but something else gets you in the end, it does actually... Can you die of dementia? Yes. Okay, right. It can also be associated with your higher risk of developing everything else as well. Right, right. How hopeful are you for a cure one day? There is hope on the horizon. There's a lot of people researching into this. And they're now looking at targeting different potential underlying mechanisms for the causes of dementia. But for me, still fundamentally, it's about preventing it in the first place. And if we can show that actually half of dementia in New Zealand can potentially be prevented, and it is potentially, you know, if we're targeting heart health and an active mind, then that's probably a much better way to conceptualise dementia than trying to develop a cure once someone has developed it. Got it. Yep, got it. If someone's listening to this now and they've actually been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so they're aware they've got it, starting to affect their daily life, what would you want to say to them? One step before that, I'd encourage anyone who's worried about changes that they've noticed in their thinking, in their ability to process information, in their cognition, to get that seen and get that assessed as soon as possible. Because knowing that you have it means that other support systems can be put in place. And trying to hide from it just means that it probably makes it harder for the people that you're living with who are also living with that uncertainty. Mm. Um, If you have been diagnosed, you know, with dementia, whatever kind of dementia it is, you know, I'd encourage you to 
think about the support services that are on offer, think about getting an assessment with the needs assessment service coordination organisation. It may very well be that you don't need any assistance at the moment, but it's good to know that they're there so that if and when the time comes where your needs change and you might need a bit of assistance, you're already in the system and you can access it a lot quicker. I'd encourage you to think about support networks both for yourself but also for you know your family that are living with you or that are providing care for you or that are worried about you because your family understanding what's going on, your family being able to appreciate the difficulties that you're experiencing, appreciate what might happen as things progress means that they'll be better equipped to be able to provide you know, that support for you so that you can live an independent and self-fulfilling life as long as possible. As we started wrapping up, Etu wanted to give one last important message to people who have been diagnosed with dementia. We've talked a lot about dementia prevention and about looking after your heart health and looking after your brain health. Those principles are also important if you have been diagnosed with dementia because there's very good evidence that actually looking after your heart and keeping an active and socially engaged mind, even after diagnosis, will actually help you to maintain your current level of functioning for longer. Mm, Okay, good. I know there's been a lot to take in in this episode, and I've tried not to shy away from the fact that Alzheimer's and dementia isn't much fun for everyone involved. But as my mum says, it pays to be appreciative of the good things you do have left. And while I can't sit down and chat with my dad like I once could, we do have laughs together and we do connect. Oh, and by the way, you know how he forgot my name at the start of that interview? Well, at the end of the interview, I threw the question back at him. What's my name? Michael. Good. Good. And what do people call me? Mick. Nice. Good. Yeah, good. Perfect. Okay. Well done. Good. You oh, did really well. You did, did well too. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Was that easy or hard? No, it wasn't too hard. And then I know that your attitude, your attitude is important. And uh, I, I believe you're getting on really well in terms of that, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right, should I take these off? Yeah. Totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good. A big thank you to my dad, my mum and Dr Etu Ma'u for their time and openness. If this episode has brought anything up for you and you'd like to talk to someone, no matter where you are in the world, you can go to checkpointorg.com global for a list of local helplines. And if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 at any time of the day or night. As I've mentioned, we'd really love your support to help make the next episode. You can go to our website, areyoumental.com, and click on the donate button. To contact me, my email is mick, that's m-i-c-k, at areyoumental.com, and our Instagram is at Podcast. A huge thank you to the Love It Media team for all their support and hard work. Make sure you follow the podcast on your podcast app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, that involves hitting the plus sign at the top. Please share this episode with someone you think will get something out of it. 
Give us a five-star rating, and if you're a really generous human, write us a review on your podcast app. See you back here soon for another episode, and until then, have a mental week.